<laughs> Amen. Thanks, George family, for reading this. And thank you, Mary, Children's Ministry, for putting this together. We are delighted and joyful to have read the word twice already, from the Advent reading to the scripture reading just now once again. Well, church, I hear that there's a possibility of a white Christmas in Philadelphia. Did you hear about that? Maybe you're tired of it already. <laughs> but nonetheless, a Merry Christmas to you. We are continuing our Advent series today. We have been looking at the birth narrative of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from the point of view of Joseph, Mary, and Shepherd as well. For Joseph, it costed him everything to follow Jesus for God's will for Joseph. For Mary, she treasured the word to herself. And shepherds glorified God. And that leads us to today's plot where Magi's point of view, the birth narrative of Jesus Christ, will take a look at. If I may summarize this entire plot, I can actually do that in one minute. Magi's see the star. They follow the star, which lead them to Jerusalem. When they get to Jerusalem, they hear from the prophets that the Bethlehem, there is the king. So they go to Bethlehem, and they see baby Jesus. So they worship happily ever after the end. Is that it? Absolutely not, actually. This is nothing but happily ever after. This is, in fact, a cold war between Herod and Mazai that you are about to see. There are two characters that are about to come here. So we'll take a look at this birth narrative of Jesus Christ with the theme of fear not. We have been studying that theme throughout our Advent series, and we will continue that today. So before we dive in, let me pose one question to you. What is your heart desperately want to control? If only I can control what is happening around me, my life will be okay. What is the one thing that you have been gone, you have been going before the Lord over and over, over again? Oh, this is out of control. I just want to control this. Everything will be okay if I do that. What is that one thing? You will see that that's very evident in the plot. And that this narrative has a lot to speak to us. What is it? So four things. We will have four movements in this plot. First, we will ask this question. Who is Mazai? There are two main characters in this plot, Mazai and Herod. So first, we'll ask, who is Mazai? Second, and we will ask, who is Herod? Who is the King Herod here? And third, the response of Herod. How does your response to the birth of the newborn king? And fourth, the response of Mazai. How do they respond to the birth of the king? So Herod will be sandwiched in between the identity of Mazai and their response. Identity, who is Mazai, who is Herod, Herod's response, and Mazai's response. Ready for it? Let's go. So first movement, who is Mazai? Look, verse 1 and 2 and also 9 and 10. It talks about Mazai here, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Mazai from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Down to verse 9. 
after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen it when it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Who in the world is this Magi? Throughout the centuries, excuse me, throughout the millennia, over 2,000 years, scholars and all people have been trying to figure out who this Magi is. As early as 200 AD, one of the church scholars, Tertullian, thought these Magi are the kings, the foreign kings who came to worship him. Perhaps that's where we get three kings, the songs that we sing. By the way, there's no way in the text mentioned that there are three kings. This Magi, at least there are a dozen of them, if not so much more. Another thing with another MythBuster, when you read this text, it's very easy to assume verse 1 to 12. Oh, it just happened like that overnight. They saw the star, they came to worship. No, this happened at least about a year. They've been searching and following the star. When we read such a condensed plot, we assume that, oh, this just happened just like that. No, they've been searching and searching for this new king. So Tertullian thought these are foreign kings who came to worship Jesus. But our great reformer, John Calvin, literally he thought that was the stupidest idea. I quote Calvin, he says that he says this. Beyond all doubt, they have been stupefied by a righteous judgment of God that all might laugh at their gross ignorance. The Calvin that there's no way these are the foreign kings. And adding another wrinkle to this plot, if you look at the like Roman general, Roman commander, author, Pliny the Elder of the time, it gets even worse. He thought this is a Harry Potter. Meaning these Magi, he thought was a sorcerer who brings all kinds of magic to this plot. So some thought these were foreign kings who came to worship Jesus. Some thought these were more like a Babylonian and from Persia traveling to worship Jesus. Some thought these are Magi, are magician, bring all kinds of sorcery and magic. And on top of this, some people think actually these are the descendants of the third son of Adam, Seth. All the way from China, when they came from east, these are the scholars and people, astrologers, came all the way from China to worship Jesus. In other words, we actually have no idea who these Magi are exactly. But now that I laid down, let's focus on what we do know. What does the text say about this Magi? Look, verse 2, what do they see? They came from east and asked, where is the one who has been born of the king of, of the Jews? We saw his star. They are the ones that see the star. Verse 9 and 10, what does it say? Verse 10, when they saw the star. Verse 9, and the star, they had seen it. In other words, these Magi are the group of people who have been studying the star. What's been happening in the sky? Astrologist. So, Throughout the centuries, especially in these early days, those who study the star are the considered intellectuals and the elite. These are the group of people who have been following the signs of the sky. And people also believed that the great birth of the king and the death of the king will be shown in the sign of the sky. This is not only this Middle Eastern culture, but if you look at a lot of Asian narrative, like such as one of the well-known novels, Chinese novel, The Romance of the Three Kingdom. When you read that, the wisest are the ones who predict what is going to happen in the war based on the, what is happening in the sky. 
When the stars fall, they think, oh, the great king is about to die. When the stars blink and shine, they think, oh, the new empire has been born. So actually, reality, one of the great flukes of the history is that around 44 B.C., when the Julius Caesar was assassinated, um, as he was being buried over his funeral pyre, there was great supernova happening in the sky. So people were looking for signs in the sky to see where is the new king. These are the group of astrologists who have been studying the movement of the star. And what in the world is this star that these people have been following? Verse 9 and 10, he said that they saw the star of Bethlehem. They were overjoyed. People, a lot of scholars, majority of them think that this is the, the great conjunction uh, between the Saturn and Jupiter. By the way, last time we have seen uh, the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn happens about every 20 years. But from Earth's vantage point, we have never seen it for a long time. Last time we've seen it was 800 years ago, 1226. And I kid not, church, by the way, tomorrow, for the first time in 800 years, the great conjunction will happen between Jupiter and Saturn. Yes, if you ask, I've been planning this sermon for the past 800 years so that I can tell you on this day that tomorrow will be the great conjunction. And no, don't spread any false rumor. I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. If you, if you say your pastor said Jesus is coming back tomorrow, that's how I get fired. So please don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. But nonetheless, I thought it was just so cool as I was just studying this star. Whoa, last time the great conjunction happened was 400 years ago, but it was during daytime, so we couldn't see it. The first time in 800 years, tomorrow night, for a while, there will be great conjunction. If you want to know more about the great conjunction, just Google it after a sermon, not right now. But nonetheless, that's what's been happening. But few things we learn about this Mazai, as smart, as intellectual, as great as Mazai's were, who are they? These are the group of people who have been traveling over at least a year following this star. These are outsiders to the eyes of Jewish people. These are just Gentiles. Get that? These are not Jewish people who came to worship Jesus, but they are just people group from far, far out of nowhere came to worship Jesus. First of all, when the king is born, he is worthy of worship regardless whether you're Jews or foreigners. Regardless of your ethnicity and culture, Jesus is worthy of worship. Church, let me tell you this. One of the convincing arguments that I find in Christianity is that if you look at world majority of religion, they are usually very geographically bound. Yes, Muslim is growing very rapidly all over, but still a majority of them are in Asia Pacific. It's bound by that. Hinduism is great and big, but the majority of them are in India and Nepal. Buddhism is big where I came from, but it's, yes, it is growing here in the States as well, but they are bound really by East Asia, like China, Korea, Japan, that area. But Christianity is from the very birth of the king. These Magi are traveling continent, whether they are from China, whether they are from Babylon, whether they are from Persia, traveling an year to worship the king. Christianity is not only for Eastern. Christianity is not only for Western. Christianity is not only for Mid-Eastern. But Christianity transcends all cultures. And Jesus is worthy of worship regardless of your background. Second, what else, else do we know? Have you noticed the plots that we have been studying? Joseph, Mary, shepherd, 
These are, who are they? Joseph and Mary in the end. Just teenagers, nobody. Shepherds, one of the most common lowly vocation at the time. But they come to worship Jesus. Regardless of your social standing, Jesus is worthy of worship. These Magi, these are outsiders. Think about it. These are not the people who study theology like Pharisees. They are not the expert of the law. In the end, these are the people who study the movement in the sky, astrologists. But they still come to worship Jesus. Regardless of your background, Jesus is worthy of your worship. So first, we studied about who Magi is. Second, second movement, who is Herod in this plot? Let's talk about it. Read verse 3. And we didn't read this, but also read 16. So let me read verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who are two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. The one of the great, great understatements in the Bible is verse 3, and Herod was disturbed. That's a complete understatement. He was disturbed and fearful. And what happened? The fear eventually led to fury in verse 16. He, when he realized that he's been outsmarted by Magi, he orders kill all the baby in Bethlehem two years and under. Historians estimate that that's about 20 to 30 male babies Herod just assassinated because he considered them as a threat. See, why is this great understatement, understatement of the Bible? Herod, even by that standard of the time, was known as absolute, absolute wicked and brutal ruler of the time. He got rid of, when I say got rid of, killed all the court members who stood against him. He killed his family members. He even killed his own wife by accusing her that she was committing adultery and she was trying to kill him. He was absolute brutal, brutal, brutal elders. One of the historians, Josephus, stated this, that how psychotic Herod was by the time that he was about to die. He was worried that nobody's going to mourn for his death. He was paranoid. So what does he do? He brings all the distinguished men in his area, and Herod commands to kill all of them with me when I die. So they enlist people to mourn this time. And this guy is just absolutely lunatic to say the least. Absolutely. So according to one of the historians, they said Herod the Great is perhaps, I quote, the only figure in ancient Jewish history who has been loathed equally by Jewish and Christian posterity. I mean, and scholars believe that he was depressed and paranoid all throughout his life. This absolutely brutal and brutal ruler is the character that we are studying right now. So Maza, astrologist, and a herald, the great dictator who was known for brutality. And movement three, how does Herod respond to this news? How does, what's the response of Herod to this news that Jesus was born? Verse 3, we read that he was disturbed. So what does he do? Look verse 8. He sent the Magi to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find it, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. 
Now, Mazai has been following the star. What do they say? I go so that I can go and worship Jesus. Here, Herod in verse 8 says, tell me where the star is so that I can go worship him. Now, externally, they have exact same confession. So tell me where Jesus is so that I may go and worship him. While they have exactly the same confession externally, internally, Mazai was really trying to find their king, newborn king, Herod, so that they can worship him. But for Herod, his internal motive when they say worship is so that I may go and assassinate my threat. In verse 16, in the end, Herod does command that, right? Kill all the babies. He's a threat to my kingdom. Oftentimes in the scripture, and even in our psychological speaking, fear and control are deeply tied together. When anything that threats our control, our sovereign reign, we want to give, we are terrified, disturbed, and furious, and we want to get rid of that. So verse 16, that's right. That's what Herod commands as we read. Kill all the babies two years or younger. Have you ever wondered why, church? We've been studying this series, Fear Not. Don't be afraid for our Advent series. Out of all the do not commands in the Bible, this is the most repeated commands. More than do not murder, do not lust. There are so many do nots in the scripture. But out of it all, do not fear. It's approximately repeated about 70 times in NIV here, plus minus. So many times Jesus tells us, angel of the Lord tells Joseph, Mary, shepherd, do not fear. What is fear, by the way, that we have been talking about? Let me walk you through. Why is Herod so disturbed and fearful? There are two types of fear. One we are talking about, one we are not talking about. Let me walk you through the healthy fear first, and let me walk you through the unhealthy fear. That's what we are talking about in Scripture as well. Healthy fear is the one that galvanizes you and mobilizes you into action. Let's just say you're on a play date. Your family and kids are out there playing, and you, while you're talking with your play date, you see your child is about to fall off the swing. What do you do? You did not even know you can run that fast. You also see run and rescue your child just right before she falls from her swing. The healthy fear mobilized you and galvanized you into action and prevented what could have been tragedy. What? It's in a sense life-giving. It energized you. Unhealthy fear on the other side. It's life-sapping. It gets to you slowly and surely. Look a lot like anxiety. One by one, it takes everything away from you. It's a threat to yourself. You become worried about it. And more and more you think about it, it debilitates you. Not knowing what to do, it paralyzes you with this uncertainty. That's the type of fear that scripture and that Jesus always tells us, don't be afraid, do not fear. So let me make it a little bit more clear. Rollo May is a 20th century American psychologist around 1900 to 1950. In his book, Man's Search for Himself, he kind of distinguished these two types of fear. One healthy fear, unhealthy fear. For healthy fear, he calls it fear. For unhealthy kind, he calls it more like anxiety. This is what he says. If you're walking across, for healthy fear first, if you're walking across a highway and see a car speeding towards you, your heart beats faster. You focus your eyes on the distance between the car and you and how far you have to go to get to the safe side of the road and you hurry across. Healthy, good thing. Now, move on. You felt fear. 
after cars have sped by, you may be aware of a slight faintness and a feeling of a hollowness in the pit of your stomach. This is anxiety. When the car came, you're like, whoa, I better get out of the way. After accident avoided, you're like, oh, man, I could have been killed in that. That fear. Regarding his healthy fear, he says, we are energized by the situation. Our perceptions are sharper, and we take steps to run or in the other appropriate ways to overcome the danger. Regarding this debilitating fear anxiety, we are threatened without knowing what steps to take to meet the danger. Anxiety is the feeling of being caught, overwhelmed, and instead of being sharper, our perceptions generally become blurred or vague. And he goes on by saying, it is the human being's basic reaction to a danger to his existence or to some value he identifies with his existence. What is the one that you desperately hold on to? And when it's threatened, we are paralyzed. It debilitates us. It becomes completely life-sapping. Perhaps your desire is that you've been praying for your family for a long time, but just things are not going in a way that you want. God, you know how much I've been praying for this. Why is this this way? Over and over, your heart is filled with anxious. You're concerned. You're fearful of your future. Perhaps that is finance. You've been worrying about it. You're like, God, I need this earthly security. I'm not even going to put it that way. I just need money to get by. You more and more and more, you're fixated upon it. Your vision becomes blurred, and you become paralyzed by your worry and anxiety. That's the type of fear that we are talking about. Do not fear. What is that that your heart is desperately longing? Man, if only I have this, it would be okay. And Rollo May goes on by saying is that that unhealthy fear is a threat to one side of the self. Fear is one of the very common human emotions that Jesus talked about all the time. Let me make it simple this way. Not too long ago, I visited a friend of mine, my high school friend. A dear friend of mine, he loves Jesus, and he's the friend who taught me, Jin, this is called flowers. Oh, this is called flower. I understand. I mean, when I got to Colorado first, he taught me everything. Anyhow, he's happily married, has five kids. Fifth one, he's in the process of adoption. He's been fostering this kid for a long time. I met all this kid because we keep in touch and met him when I visited him. But fifth one, currently one he's fostering, I've never met him. So I went, he's only 14 months old. I'm trying to show Joseph, man, I'm great with kids. Let me hold him. Just give him to me. Little be known to me because of COVID restriction and all that. This baby has never seen anybody else but his parents and his sibling. So all of a sudden, I'm like, let me hold him, little guy. Little guy looks at me and what happened? Ah! Yelling, screaming. He's thinking, who is this Asian kid trying to hold me here? I don't know what the kid was thinking. But what is this baby experiencing? Is he crying also? Oh, I am so glad. Oh, Jin, I've heard a lot about you from my father, Joseph. I'm so glad that you're about to hold me. I'm crying out of joy. No. This is a tears of fear. Who is this guy that I've never known? I'm afraid. Fear is one of the primal emotions that we experience as a human. Even babies perhaps learn fear first. Why does baby cry when they come out of mother's womb? Are they coming out of mother's womb and say, oh man, this fresh air of hospital, I am so joyful, let me cry. No. 
Or are they crying out of grief? Oh, man, life is down here from now on. Mother's womb was comfortable. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. It's all downhill. None of that. But they cry out of perhaps, yes, it's physical instinct, but out of fear. This is different. This is not warm and comfortable in mother's womb. If you have been traumatized, fearful in your life, you know what I'm talking about. It takes years for you to overcome. One of the most basic instinct, human primal emotion, fear, is what Herod is experiencing. Jesus is threatening his kingdom. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? I must seize the control of this situation by get rid of him. That's Herod's response, all fear-driven, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him by fearful of Herod. Now, what is the answer to our fear then? If it's that primal emotion, if Jesus constantly commands us, do not fear, what's the antidote and cure to our fear? Fourth movement. See the Magi's response, the response of Magi. Read verse 10 to 12. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another side. Here, unlike Herod, who claims to worship yet wanted to assassinate baby Jesus, what do Magi do? Full worship. In verse 10, it says, verse 10, it says, they bowed down. Herod is all about control. I got to get rid of my threat. But what is prostrating, bowing down mean? You are surrendering your control. When you're prostrating in the presence of king, you are defenseless. King can do whatever that he wants to. You are surrendering all your control and you are subscribing your ultimate value to the one you are bowing before. This what a stark contrast. The Herod wants to control and the Mazai to fully worship. Another reason. If you look at this plot, actually, who has a lot to be afraid of? Who has a lot to be fearful of? It's not the Herod. In the end, Jesus came in weakness. He did not come as a militant king victor. He came in weakness and he will die in weakness. Herod doesn't have much to be afraid about in earthly terms. But in earthly terms, Mazai has got so much to be fearful about. Why do we say that? Look, verse 8, what happened? Herod secretly pulls Mazai. Hey, man, just to let you know, if you find Jesus, make sure to you tell me, right? I mean, Herod secretly pulls them aside to make sure to command them. You tell me. Do Mazai do that? How do you dare to disobey this violent killer who kills right and left? Verse 12, angel warns Mazai to not go back to Herod. So they do not. How do you dare to disobey this violent, bloodthirsty ruler? It's at the risk of your life. But is there any signs of fear from Magi's point of view in this text? None of it. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed and they worshiped Jesus. Church, when you just look around the circumstances, it will lead you to fear. That's all we get. Yes, Magi had a thousand things to be afraid about, but there's absolutely no indication of fear in them. Why? Because their eyes were fixated on Jesus and worship. Church, the ultimate cure for your chronic fear is worship. Let me say that one more time. The cure for your chronic fear is worship. Now, let me qualify that. The cure 
for your chronic fear is worship even more than your petitionary prayer. Yes, I said it very carefully, but I'm saying it. The cure for your chronic fear is worship even more than petitionary prayer. Why? Even the petitionary prayer, what you're worried about and concerned about, fearful about, it often leads us to focus on the circumstances. The petitionary prayer of what you're praying needs to eventually go up to the one, the object of your prayer, the one who answered your prayer. In the end, when you fully adore him and worship him, your heart responds in joy. Because oftentimes I pray, God, help me, help me. I'm worried, I'm worried. In Jesus' name I pray. I'm so much more worked up because all I fixated was on my problem, my issue, what I'm afraid of. But have you been so focused on Jesus Christ, who he is, that your heart is ravished, heart is filled with joy? Church, the cure for your fear is worship. So what do you worship today? Look, Herod, what does he subscribe his ultimate value? His control. His, his own power, what does that lead to? Fear, fury. Here, Mazai, what do they worship? They worship the newborn king. And that leads them to great joy and peace of them. What do you worship today, church? Do you worship Jesus? Oftentimes, there's no better year to talk about fear than 2020. It allowed us to fixate eyes so much on the circumstance of this world. But church, turn your eyes upon Jesus. He is the cure for your fear. Worship him, adore him, prostrate before him. Perhaps the greatest fear of all mankind, you can think about, what is the common enemy and threat fear for all mankind? Death. Whether it be the death of yourself, whether it be the death of your loved ones, whether it be leaving your loved ones alone after your death. Often our greatest fear relates to death. But do you know the one who was born to bleed? Do you know the one who was born to die? He paid the price of the ultimate death on the cross of Jesus Christ. This baby will grow up 30 years later. He will be hanged upon a cross for our sin. And all our sins were laid upon him because he paid the penalty of ultimate death. What we, the one who put trust in Jesus, experienced is not the ultimate death, but only shadow of death. For to us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? That's what this Christmas is all about. He came for you and me. He came for us. So anxious hearts, Charlton Church, look to him today. Worship him. He is the answer to our fear. Let's pray. Oh God, I am fearful. I worry a lot about it, my uncertain future, and my heart just panics often. I desperately want to control the uncertainty, predict the future, and I try to seize the control with my own hand. But, oh God, I look at Mazai today, who had every reason to be fearful about, but their eyes are so fixated upon this following star that leads them to Jesus, and they subscribe their ultimate value to you and worship you. So, God, we come just as we are, our anxious soul and fearful soul. But, oh God, you command us, do not fear. And, God, we find that answer in Jesus. So help us to look to you. Help us to worship you 
What do we worship today? Do we worship power and control, which only lead to fear? Or do we truly worship our newborn King, Jesus? Oh God, reorient our hearts and reorient our loves. We look to you in your precious name. We pray, amen.